Well, hello again. I'm John uh, Moe. I'm glad to be here to preach the word this morning to you. I'm excited to be here in the new 2021 and thankful for this book, John 2. Um, when I've been studying this book and going over this book, God's been really hitting my heart with this stuff. Because if you, if you read, if you paid attention to what Mark said and you kind of go through the book of 2 John, there are two kind of themes that you hear over and over again. In fact, they're the most... Um, they're tied for the most words in this little book, and it's these two words. It's truth and it's love. So if you read through it, you'll see the word truth and love uh, seven times each, okay? And I think this is very timely, truth and love in our society right now. Because if you look back on 2020, I know you don't want to. I know that's just farthest from your mind. But if you do, you would understand that that truth and love, the pandemic and the racial tension and the election and the civil unrest took like a halogen spotlight on our society to show just how broken truth and love are in our society. If you look, you'll see just how awful truth was in the last year. The, the, the deceptions, the mistruths, the, the kind of changing of what truth and reality is uh, on all parties, on all sides. It's not just one political part or the other. It's just, just how much misinformation things you learn from and you can't get a grasp on. And then what did that do? Uh, the outcome of that made us enemies of each other because if you believe that, how could you believe that? And I believe that. I mean, it was just a, a terrible time to see that both truth and love together are broken in our society. And I'm thankful for this book because John is talking to us this morning about the importance of truth and love. And before we really dive into the text, you got to know the context. You got to understand this book in terms of where it was written at the time and place. So John wrote this book about 60 years after the death of Christ. John uh, was a young man when he was with Christ and now a much older man. He calls himself the elder. And he writes to the elect lady. This is a very unique book because it's the only epistle that is written to a woman specifically. Now, some scholars think this might be written to a church, but most believe this is written to an actual woman. And we don't know who this woman is. The name elect lady might be her actual name. Uh, lady in, in Greek back then was a common name, kind of like Lady in the Tramp, right? It's a common name, lady. So he might be writing to this person that everybody knows with the name lady. Some people think that it could be Mary or Martha, in terms of having such high-powered woman who he'd write and everybody would know. But anyway, this woman who he writes to, he's writing to help her understand two things, truth and love, because what was going on in the church at that time was this growing church was happening. People were coming, being saved. The apostles were going out. They were preaching the truth. But mixed in with that was this thought of heresy, which is called Gnosticism. And the Gnostics believed a super-spiritual, hyper-spiritual uh, kind, of, kind of take on what is spiritual, what is material, or non-material is better. So anything spiritual and non-material, that's better. But the body, that's no good. We've got to control that. We've got to get rid of that. So much so that some of the teachings taught that Jesus of Nazareth, the actual person, was wise and had piety, and Christ came into him when he was uh, baptized— but then left before the crucifixion because obviously the spirit can't be anything bad. It's the body that was bad. The body actually died. And that's why in John in verse 7 says this. He says, For many deceivers have gone out into the world. Those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ, where it say, in the flesh, such 
one is a deceiver and the Antichrist. The flesh, it's really important to have that right thought, that right kind of idea, the right truth. And so these Christians would give hospitality to these itinerant preachers. These Gnostic preachers would go around just like the apostles. They would act like they were fathers of the church, and they would teach like they were fathers of the church, and these Christians would unwittingly bring them into their homes and have hospitality. Hotels back then weren't something um, you'd want to go to. They were full of disease. People normally didn't go to hotels, full of prostitution and that sort of thing. So Christians would bring these men in to teach. And what John says in John 10 and 11, he says this, if anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching— and this comes to you as plural, meaning if anyone comes to the church, we're talking about people who are, I know the truth and I'm teaching the church. So if these false prophets or these false teachers come to you and does not bring the teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting for whoever greets him takes part in these wicked works. So we're not talking about just regular people who didn't believe in Jesus or had a faulty view of Jesus. That's not what they're talking about. They're talking specifically about people who claim to know the truth, to be the Christian, to be the, the, the person in charge, and then teaching a false gospel. So we see that time and time again through these epistles, not just in 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, last week, John, uh, uh, John Martha talked about Jude, same thing. These, these books were talking about, hey, hey, watch out for these sheep, these wolves in sheep clothing. Watch out for these false teachers. You church, be careful. Watch, watch, be careful. Don't even invite them in your home. Be cautious. Why he does that and why these church fathers do this is because truth is of utmost importance. Let me say that again. Truth is of utmost importance. So look at our society. When truth is broken, society is broken. When relationships are, when truth is broken in relationships, the relationship is broken. And in churches, when the truth in church is broken, the church is broken. Truth is of utmost importance. So that begs the question, so what is truth? What is John trying to say truth is? Well, what would your family and friends and people you know say truth is? If you say, hey, what's truth? What, describe truth. What do you think it is? What would they say? I think our society is built on the idea that truth is individual. You look inside to find the truth that's good for you, but it might be different for you that it's different for me. I've heard this, honestly, in the last two weeks. I heard someone say, well, my truth is, and they were comparing it to your truth. So there's this element of truth is inside, but it's, everybody's kind of got their own truth. There was a ruling in 1992 from the Supreme Court that did a, um, did a ruling. And in the ruling, the Supreme Court, Anthony Kennedy, said this, this quote, At the heart of liberty is the right to define one's own concept of existence, of meaning, of the universe, of all the mystery of human life. At the heart of liberty, it's the right to define one's own, what, truth. I think that quote is absolutely describes our society, don't you? that you can decide it, and you get to decide it, and you get to decide it. Just as long as yours doesn't come on mine, you're all good. We're all happy, right? That's kind of where truth lies in this culture. I hear a lot about truth is it's, it depends. It depends on um, the context, right? So it depends who's lying and what context it's in. Like take politicians. We don't believe our politicians are actually going to tell us the truth, right? I mean, come on. The joke is, right, how do you know a, a congressman is lying? His lips are moving, except Paul. Paul, you're not a liar. Paul, it's the mayor, not him. He's not the liar. Congressman, okay? 
but everybody thinks, oh, politicians, uh, that's what we expect, right? They're not going to tell us. The car salesman, eh, they're going to tell us half-truths, right? The truth is in the context, right? Some people think uh, truth is not eternal. It doesn't last forever. It changes. So what was true 100 years ago is not true today, and maybe 100 years will be different. There's no consistency to truth. And some think truth is used as a power play, that if I have truth, I use it to dominate you, or I dominate the weak. It's just power, really, that. So my truth claims are just used to power so that I get what I want. So we have these views of truth that if you live in that reality, you, you kind of get schizophrenic, don't you? Don't you get kind of like, okay, what, what do I believe? What do I not believe? Did you know butter is back in? <laughs> what, four years, five years ago, butter was causing all these deaths, heart attacks, everybody's dying from butter. Don't do butter. Duh! Spray, Shh, no butter, right? I walk into a, uh, to a coffee shop, and now we got bullet. We got bullet coffee. You put butter in your coffee, baby. Butter is back. All right. So you got somebody telling me butter's bad, I'm going to die. And then I got somebody saying, no, no, you need these fats. You need to get in that butter. And I'm like, okay, what do I do? I'm like, I'm like schizophrenic, right? I feel like Pontius Pilate. Um, Pontius Pilate, if you remember his story, when, when the Jews wanted to kill Jesus, they, didn't, they wanted Rome to do it. So they, they called up Pontius Pilate. The governor at the time said, hey, you need to kill Jesus. He's doing all these terrible things. And, and Pontius Pilate didn't want anything to do with it. He's like, this is so no. What's going on here? You dumb Jews, what's going on? Ugh, he's frustrated. So he interviews Jesus because he can kill him or he can let him free. So in John 18, he interviews Jesus and he says this. He says, Pilate said, so you're a king? And Jesus responds, you say I'm a king, but actually I was born and came into the world to testify to the what? To the truth. That's his goal. Jesus' goal and mission was to testify what? To the truth. And all who love the truth recognize that what I say is true. So Jesus is basically saying there is an absolute truth. I've come to show the truth. And what is Pilate's response? What's truth? Ugh. I don't even know what truth is. And he walks out and he says, I don't know why you guys want to kill this person. But don't you kind of feel like that though when you have this guy say this and this person say you don't know what to believe? You feel like, what is truth? It's like, it's like playing a puzzle. It's like putting a puzzle together without having the box top. So I'm not a puzzle guy. I'm terrible at it. But my family every year gets a puzzle just to probably make fun of me how bad I am at it. And so we're doing a puzzle, but imagine if I dumped out all the pieces. Okay, kids, here you go. Here's your puzzle, but I didn't give them the box top. How are they going to put it together? See, that's what our society is like when there is no truth, or the truth is up to you. There's this kind of idea of I'm trying to figure this all out and put these pieces. Does this, does this actually look right? Does this, does this how? I start pounding the pieces together. And I, that, that fits, that fits. But the Christian idea of truth, if you even look at what Jesus said, he came to tell the truth. This should blow your mind. When we talk about what the Christian view on truth is, it's going to be starkly different than what the culture is, and it should blow your mind. Here's why. John 1 says this. The Word, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now this idea of Word, the idea here, Word is, the Greek term is logos. Logos is a loaded term. It's a loaded term. John is actually using this. Now, John wrote the book of John, right? And he wrote these epistles. So John is in this truth mentee. And he says, the word was with God. The word was God. Logos. Now, what logos is, we get our idea of logic, logos, and reason from that. But it's way more than that, especially back then. Back then, you'd have all 
the philosophers, the Greek philosophers, they would argue in the street squares, they would argue in their schools, they would argue what is the meaning of life, or other words, what is logos? What is true? What is absolute? And they would come up with all these schemes and ideas and philosophies to understand the word logos. What is logos? What is truth? And John is absolutely, from the very start, John 1.1 says, you know what truth is, everybody? Truth is God. Well, that's interesting. It's not a philosophy. It's not a way. It's not some group of facts. It's, it's God. In John 14, Jesus comes up and he says this, John 14.6, I am the way, the what? The truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do not know him and have seen him. So what is Jesus saying here? John saying God is truth. Jesus saying I am the truth. And then we have the Holy Spirit. Very Trinitarian. God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit. John 16 says, if you pull up John 16, the Spirit of what? Truth comes. This is the Holy Spirit. He comes. He will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. So what is truth? The Christian belief on truth is not a set of facts or, a, or maybe some scientific surveys or maybe an experienced journey or your self-discovery. You know what truth is? Truth is a person. Truth, let me say it again. Truth is a person. Well, why does that matter? What's the difference between that? Why, why would we want truth as a person? That's, wait, it shouldn't it be a list of facts and studies? It's a person. Why is that so beneficial and super? Better than anything. It's because of this. A group of facts can't really relate to you. I mean, it kind of can, right? But when Jesus says, I am the truth, I am the person, you can interact with that one, can't you? You can talk to that person. You can talk to that truth and he can talk back. You can love that truth. You can, you can worship that truth. That truth gets to correct you. That truth gets to rebuke you. That truth gets to love you in a relational way and that truth gets to change you. See, facts, facts don't really change you, do they? But a relationship with the truth can and it does. So we see that God the Father, he is truth, God. Jesus showing God the Father as the truth. And the Holy Spirit inside the believer, working, knowing the absolute mind of God, knows the truth, imparts it to his people. Very Trinitarian, very unusual, very weird for our society that that's the truth. He's a person. So, so how do we interact with this? How do we even engage this? Well, one very important truth that Corinthians says is this, and I want to point this out to you. It's all the personal work of Jesus Christ. In Corinthians, Paul's writing and says, by this gospel, the gospel is the good news of all that Jesus did and accomplished, you are saved. And if you hold firmly to the word I preach to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. For what I've received, I passed on to you as what? First importance. This is the most important part. Everybody pay attention is what he's saying. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. See that scripture? That he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to what? According to the scriptures. Do you see, the truth is relational with Jesus. 
And he uses the word of God, the scriptures, to show us who he is and relate to him that way. So the Holy Spirit's using the scriptures. He's using the Bible, what we read, in order to help us relate to this Jesus. And in the book of John, the second John, he calls it walking. He calls that walking. That's very interesting. So I rejoice greatly to find some of you children walking in the truth. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. So verse 8, this is the commandment just as you have heard from the beginning so that you should walk in it. What, what does this mean to walk in truth? It's a very strange illustration, isn't it? Well, that's because life is a journey. From conception to eternity, what do you do? You, you've heard this before. You walk through life, right? You walk there. Well, in the same way, you walk in truth. Now think back to a time where you were new to an area. Like maybe you came to Bay Village and this is new. It was new for you. You didn't know where the Heinen's was. You didn't know where the gas station is. You're getting lost all the time. I remember a time when I was in college. I was a freshman. And I needed to know how to get to my class. There's a couple hundred buildings everywhere. And I needed to know how to get from point A to point B. This is back before cell phones. So they have what we call paper maps, everybody. Paper maps. Have you ever seen one of those? So they have a paper map of everything. And Lord forbid you don't memorize that map. You memorize it because you don't want to pull that out in the middle of walking around campus because you get a target on your back. It's like the gazelle in the Serengeti or something. You want to just, you know, be in the herd, man. You don't want to be the one hurting. That's, that's kind of how it was. Upperclassmen make fun of you. So yeah, memorize this map. I memorized the truth of the map to get to my 8 o'clock class. Told me to go this way. I'm, okay, I'm going to believe it and go this way, right? So there was a truth that I learned from the map. But it wasn't until I walked in that truth the next day, woke up early, got out of my bed, started walking to class, hoping that that truth of that map was true. And as I walked in it, I experienced truth differently than I would have in the map. But after a while, after I walked to class and I realized that was true, the map was true, I started to instinctively know where to go. After some time, I got familiar with everything. I could then look up. Instead of worrying about where I'm walking, I could look up and see the trees changing color in the fall. I could see the, hear the birds chirping. I could talk to a friend. Instinctively, that truth just started to change me. The truth of the map was experienced in the walking. I know a lot of map Christians. They might know a little bit about Jesus. They might know about the truth but darn be if they don't walk in it. Because that's the analogy of walking. It's, it's really hard for your head to walk across the room without your feet. Isn't it? I mean, you need your whole body. And that's what walking in the truth is. It's every part of your body goes into this truth and then believe it and walking through that. And as you walk in the truth, you become changed. You can look up. You can explore. I explored a lot of that campus just because I walked around. Let me give you an idea how this kind of works practically. How it worked in my life at the beginning of the pandemic. We have never been, before this winter, we have never been in a pandemic before. Not like this. So it hits in March. We are locked down. We're trying to figure out what this, this disease is going to be. We're all into And I'm thinking, okay, I am the father of children, and uh, I'm, I'm, I'm a dad, and I, I got to figure out what I'm doing here, and got to help these children calm down. Everything, you know, something's wrong. So I need wisdom. So what do I do? Well, truth is relational, right? 
And the Holy Spirit's there. So I'm praying, okay, God, I've never walked through a pandemic. I've never walked through this truth before, so help me. So I pray, and then all of a sudden, what happens? John, uh, James 1.5 says this. James says, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. Is this truth? This is what God said to me. He said this through the scriptures. I went to the scriptures, and the Holy Spirit said, John... Get some wisdom. I'm like, all right. I'm going to the guy who has the wisdom. And that's God. He's truth. So I start praying. Give me truth. Give me truth. And wouldn't you know it, within the first week of lockdown, one guy about my age, who was a pastor, ironically, dies of COVID. And now I'm kind of like, okay, I'm a little concerned. All right. A little fearful. I'm walking this path. I'm like on college. I'm walking the path. And I look, and there's like a pothole in the middle of the road. Like, wait a minute. Your, your map said go this way. I'm like, okay, Lord, are you sure? This is going to, I mean, this is, I'm getting kind of fearful. I'm getting kind of nervous. I'm reading the news. You're reading the headlines. I'm reading everything, and I'm, my mind starts spinning. So what happens? Truth is relational. I go back to the Holy Spirit. I go back to Jesus. Say, hey, help me out here. What do, what do I do? I'm getting kind of fearful, Lord. I'm getting kind of scared. Then he gives me a verse like Isaiah 41:10 that says, Fear not, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I am strong. I'm, I, I will strengthen you and help you. I will, I will, uphold you with my righteous right hand. Is that truth? Jesus Christ. Yes, thank you, Jesus. You are awesome. You have come to be this help, to be my strength. And guess what? You will not leave me. I don't have to fear because you uphold me. It's like putting that puzzle back together, not just with the top, but with the actual top sitting next to me, helping me put the puzzle pieces together. And when I experience that truth, when I walk in that truth, okay, I'm, I'm not going to fear. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to walk through this with you. You experience the truth of the living God, and it changes you. But John, there's a lot of people who are Christian that have passed away from COVID. In fact, just yesterday I had a conversation with a man who lost his sister to COVID, who was a Christian, who loved Jesus. Christians aren't immune to disaster and and what if they lose their jobs and, and, and the fear starts coming and, and you start letting your mind think? And Romans 8, 28, that's a truth scripture. Hey, hey, we know that all things God works for the good for those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. Is this truth? This is the scripture that God says, you know what? Whether in this life or the next, I'm going to make everything good for you and for my glory. Uh, it's just me walking. I need it every day. And then, then I hear the Holy Spirit say, hey, hey, maybe you should stop reading all the stuff. Maybe you should probably just kind of do that a little less. Maybe you should read a little more word. Because when I do that, I'm like, oh gosh, here it goes. And I go here, it's like, oh, peace. Oh, scare. Peace. And I'm like a chicken sometimes. My head cut off because I'm like, what's that say? Oh gosh, I gotta go back. I gotta walk. Oh gosh, I gotta go back. But I'm telling you, after time of this and working through this and being in the scripture and seeing Jesus being right there holding you up and seeing the Holy Spirit empower you, and you start to intrinsically know the truth and it changes you. You become changed by the truth. And that's what John says in his John 1 through 4. He says this, that not only know the truth, because of that truth that lives, abides in us, will be with us forever. So now we see that this truth is super different than any other truth. Because it's not a truth you look in to get. It's a truth you look outward to get. It, it, it's not a truth that changes from one century to another. No, it's forever. 
This is truth that is in you that God deposits in you by looking at him, and it's forever. It doesn't change. You telling me in a hundred years truth's going to be the same? Mm Mm-hmm. A thousand years? Yep. Truth is going to be the same because Jesus is the same today, tomorrow, and forever. So that'll change, right? So, okay, that's wrong. It's not just my truth, is it? No, it's God's truth. My truth is a little pathetic compared to God's truth. But the awesomeness of this truth is that the more you walk, the more you abide, the more it abides in you. The more that you abide in truth, you love it, you want it, I want to go after it, I want to be with it, I don't care what God wants, I want to get in with him, I want to see him, and I want to talk to him, the more it lives in you. And then what happens? That's what happens when you start getting changed by truth. Then you love. Then you love. Look what it says. Lady or children, whom I what? Love in truth but not also who I know the truth. Everyone who knows the truth loves you too. See, there is something that's crazy that happens with truth. When we who believe in Jesus Christ and want to follow his truth and walk with his truth, we start to love one another. Isn't that crazy? But you see, it's not just a knowledge or an assent to it. Yes, the Bible commands us to love one another. Mm-hmm. But when you know truth, the truth is actually the power to help you love somebody. Isn't that true in your marriage? I mean, I know I should love my wife. Okay, I'm going to love my wife. But the truth of the matter is when I'm closer to and I'm with her, there's this thing that comes out of it. It's relationship. And same with Jesus. When you love Jesus and you see him in the truth, he helps you love one another. John Stott has a great uh, quote that I wanted to read. I thought it was perfect. It sums up what I wanted to say. Why did John and other Christians love these people? It isn't because they were lovable. You know, I'm not lovable. I'm not. They weren't lovable, but because they're lovable or because of some unique compatibility between them or a shared goal among them or common programs to which they were all committed. They loved each other because they shared a common experience of and committed to and love for the what? The truth of Jesus and the gospel of his death and resurrection. So this is what I don't get. Maybe you can help me out here. How come we who know Jesus and love Jesus and you know the truth and have a common truth together, how can we let the stupidest stuff divide us? I don't get how politics can divide us. Now, I get it out there for sure, absolutely. Republicans, Democrats, Green Party, Libertarians, they want to kill each other and burn their house down. I get that, that's fine. But in here, in here, Because the truth of the matter is Jesus is the king of kings and he says he holds all governments in his hands. And that truth should allow me to calm my down when someone doesn't believe the same thing I do politically. Especially one of my brothers in Christ sitting across me who's a Republican or a Democrat or whoever he is and I can say we serve the same king. Now is it important to argue? Sure. Is it important to disagree? Absolutely. Is politics important? I'm not, yes. I'm not saying it isn't. But why would I say I'm not loving you anymore because you believe something crazy? When we both believe the same thing, Jesus is in charge. That's crazy to me. How do we let race divide us? How? Out there I can see it? Absolutely. That's hot. That's charged. There's a lot of stuff going on. But in here, when Jesus says, "Ah, God is our father, that means if you believe in Jesus, we're brothers? And I'm sitting across the table from a brother who might look different, might have a different race, different country, different origin. 
who comes to me and says, hey, I, I'm struggling with this race thing. I don't know how it works. I feel uncomfortable. And I'm like, how dare you? I'm like, no, there's love there. He's my brother. I just don't understand how we let these little things divide us so much. Because here's the reality of the situation. Out there, they're burning stuff. They're eating their own children. Out there, it's, it's anarchy. People are angry. You've seen social media? They're angry and frustrated and mad. There's no peace. There's no truth. There's nothing. There's no love. Who are they supposed to look to to see who's got the truth? And if we're all acting like that, then they're not going to know the truth, are they? What would happen to our community if we were a people known to be of the truth in 2021? If someone just said, man, they are the people of the truth. I may not agree with that truth. I may think it's stupid. I mean, but they're the people of the truth. Do you know what would probably happen? Is love would start pouring out of us. Love would start pouring out of us. And if love's not pouring out of you for your brothers and sisters, you're probably, you're probably not in the right truth. I get concerned when I look at a whole year gone because Christians decide that truth is just mm, on the side and love is, I can take or leave it. We're talking about true Christianity. We're talking about relational Christianity. And I'm not saying you gotta be perfect. I'm not saying you gotta love your brothers all the time. I don't love my brother. I mean, it's hard to do. And I don't hold on to the truth like I should. But what maybe God is calling us to in 2021 is just take a step. Just walk a little bit. Just do one of these. Open the scriptures and say, I don't know what this is gonna, okay, Lord, I'm just gonna, Spend a little time with you. He will change you. He's in the business of changing people. That's what he does. He took a guy like me who didn't know anything about God, didn't want to know anything about God, who didn't care about the truth, opened my eyes to see he is the most beautiful thing I could ever want, showing me that he died for my sin so that I could have a relationship with him, changed my wants and desires, so now I don't want the stuff I used to, now I want the stuff that I want because of Jesus. I want what he wants. That's the kind of God that we serve. That's the kind of Jesus that we have. That's the kind of truth that will transform you. So I'm asking you to think about it, to pray about it, to seek him. I don't know your situations. I had a lady approach me after the first service and said, hey, I have a certain situation with a certain truth in my life and it's been hard. And, uh, you know what I said? I said, helped her out a little bit, but I said, you gotta go to Jesus. You gotta ask him what he wants. He'll show you. He's not hiding. He's not like, ha ha, I'm hiding. Hide and seek. I'll show you some things. But no, he's ready and waiting for you. And that's my hope for this church for 2021 is that we be a people of the truth. Amen? Let me pray for us. God, I ask that you would help us in our weakness, help us in our unbelief. When we have a hard time believing that you're true and that your word is true and when we are going through some really rough times and everything outside of us, everything in the society and even circumstances is screaming that you are not true. Lord, I pray that you, Father, would fight through that, that we would see you clearly and more brilliantly than we ever have. I pray that you would help us to know you, but not just in this mind sense of the word, but in an experiential way to taste and see your truth so that we might be changed. And that this place, Bay Presbyterian Church, would be a place known for their truth and their love for one another. Lord, I pray for little divider things that come our way. We just pray against that. We just ask God that you would help us to love our brothers and sisters who don't agree with us. Help us, Father, please, God, so that we can show a hurting world that you are true and that you're our only hope of salvation, your son's name.